What is your body communicating to you when certain ailments arise? How does it look to be a priestess? And how can we live our soul's blueprint? On today's show, episode 33, I'm answering questions! Yay! We're discussing the energies of the sacred cervix and the invitations and messages behind certain vaginal ailments. I'm getting into what it looks like to be a priestess in modern society. And finally, getting into some steps to take in living your soul's purpose and divine blueprint. So let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Subtle Medicine, brought to you by InnerSpark.Life by Devin Ray Battaglia. This is the resource for the sensitive soul looking to reclaim their power and reconnect to their magic through remembering how to trust their bodies, align with nature and cosmic flow, leverage their subtle energies, and transmute trauma and pain into gifts and purpose. Get ready to dive into all things holistic healing, natural living, conscious relating, epic life changing, and spirituality, all steeped in earth-based wisdom. I'm the show's producer, Mike, and now here's your host, Devin. So I love when I receive questions from all of you, and I've picked kind of the three most fun ones that I've received lately to get into for today's Q&A episode. And so we're going to start with looking at the energetics of the cervix. And somebody approached me with questions about her repeated abnormal pap smears and subsequent colposcopies, uh, which is a procedure to remove the abnormal cells from the cervix that were detected via the pap smear. And so this had been going on for some time with her, you know, the repeated process of the abnormal pap and then the colposcopy. And she was really frustrated because she's just like not understanding what is happening and what's contributing to it and had finally kind of become hip to the fact that there may be something beneath the surface. It's not just this physical issue. And she's like, I've been following you for so long and have really resonated with all of your teachings. And like, there must be something deeper going on. No pun intended, right? And I was like, yes, 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 there totally is. There is something deeper going on. And as I am always saying, the subtle is creating the gross. So your physical body, your physical life is the tangible expression, the tangible manifestation of whatever is happening beneath the surface, whatever is happening in your more subtle, intangible realms. So unprocessed experiences, undigested emotions, really shitty mental stories and and inner monologues and inner critics that are constantly on repeat that we are telling ourselves about ourselves. Um, All of these different components are the building blocks of our physical body and our physical experience. And so if the physical body and or your physical experience of life is continuing to show the same things, it's because of this building block underneath the surface that is still providing the same instructions, still providing the same blueprint for that gr- that gross physical manifestation of your life. So in the case of anything in our physical reality, our physical body, our physical life that is continuing to regenerate in a manner that is diseased, so without ease and not what we desire, we can look to the the more subtle building blocks and that's where all of our power is. The subtle energies of the universe create the universe and so everything in it. 
And so it's really quite empowering. And the body and our lives wouldn't, you know, they're, they're constantly being regenerated, especially the body. You know, cells are dying and new ones are coming and it's just this constant regenerative process. And so if something is continuing to show up, it's, it's there for a reason. It's there to teach us something. It's there to get our attention. And sometimes simply addressing the physical is, is not going to be the thing, right? We can like take all the herbs and do all the, you know, diet protocols and this, that, and the other. And sometimes that's not going to quite cut it because those subtle energies are so much stronger and are, it's, it's like, the body's constantly playing catch up. If those instructions are constantly being given, you know, it's like those herbs or those physical only support protocols are going to help, but it's like still in this, in this, this catch up game. And so really in, in, in any situation where there's something that is repeatedly showing up, we would begin to address things on the gross level for sure. Right. We want to support the physical in making changes. So whether it's in your life, we would look at, you know, life changes. If, if it's not so much a physical ailment, but maybe something in your life, like continuing to attract the same shitty partner, the same, like the same energetic or archetype, just in different bodies, <laughs> we would address that. And so in the body, we would also address and support things tangibly. So in the situation of, of the cervix and other yoni ailments, we would look to nutrition to support healing, herbs, and especially in situations with the cervix, yoni steaming, like for sure, yoni steaming. And then we'd really get into the subtle, which is where, like I've been on my little rant so far, you're going to have the most success and the longest lasting success and results. And specifically with the cervix and each, each body part, um, has a different, a different energy, a different invitation, a different medicine, a different offering, different metaphor. And I've talked about this in other shows as well. And so with this woman specifically, and with the cervix in general, you know, the emotional components really linked with this very sacred site of our body is betrayals, safety, security, trauma. And so some questions to maybe ask. And, you know, this this is such the, the one of the reasons I really wanted to bring this up on the show is like this is such a common thing for so many women nowadays. Um, you know, some of the Western medical practices are kind of, mm, you know, maybe not very supportive of the of cervical health of women's full body health. And that's a different topic for a different time. Um, but yeah, cervical issues, abnormal pap smears are such a common thing. And so I thought that we could all benefit from, from having this, this discussion. So looking at those emotional components, um, and then really asking what was happening around the time of the first diagnosis, the first abnormal pap and, or what major heartbreaks have you endured in your life specifically from those closest to you? And it's probably going to involve a romantic partner. Every time you, uh, you talk about something like this, it always fascinates me that there are certain things that are commonly accepted in our culture about the relationships between our emotional experiences and our physical outcomes, like stress and heartburn, for example. We understand that having a bad day at work might give us indigestion, but it seems like there's this kind of comfort zone that we're in 
as far as what we're willing to accept. Like mild indigestion caused by mildly elevated stress is acceptable. But we tend to throw that relationship out the window when it comes to either more extreme experiences or more extreme outcomes um, because they, they fall outside our comfort zones for things that we're willing to look at. Like if I complain about heartburn, then you might reasonably ask, well, have you experienced increased stress lately? So why if somebody is getting a diagnosis like what you're talking about, then why isn't the question being asked more often, well, have you experienced any major heartbreak lately? Like I can imagine a physician asking the first question, but I have a harder time imagining them asking the second question. Totally. Yes. And, you know, we, we do normalize so much too much. We also tolerate and accept things like not feeling amazing in our bodies, mild heartburn, or repeated reprodu reproductive ailments like we've been talking about. So for starters, I'd ask us all to get very clear on what we will and will not accept. So what's not okay for us anymore? And there are other ways of addressing things. There are other ways to feel in your body besides mediocre. There are other ways of supporting your body than what is available kind of in the mainstream and what we have been raised to turn to. You know, heartburn, go get some Tums. Cervical ailments, well, you got to go just do the colposcopy. That's all there is. You know, I, doctors aren't really talking about yoni steaming and the energetics of the yoni or the energetics of the cervix. And this, this place is such a very sacred site. So before I go back to the cervix, I, I invite us to all get very clear on whatever is happening in your body. What are you going to no longer accept anymore? What is no longer okay for you? Because we can stop normalizing that. We can stop normalizing just kind of feeling eh in our bodies. That's, these bodies aren't designed to just feel eh. So let's get very clear about it and then make some changes and be open to things that maybe are a little different than what our parents did or a little different than what we've been shown. So back to the energies of the cervix. It's truly a storage house for everything. Everything. The cervix is a storage house for everything. It is the portal of life. So this uppermost place, the cervix sits high up in the vaginal canal. And it's this sacred opening through which new souls emerge in a body, right? They come out of a woman's womb through the portal into physical form and into the earth side. It is the gateway between the seen and the unseen. It is a very sacred and protective place. It keeps things out and keeps things in. It opens and closes and moves up and down along the vaginal canal depending on what is happening in a woman's cycle. It's, it's a very um, sentient and active part of a woman's anatomy and fiercely protective. The cervix is also very connected to the collective's energy as well as your own lineages. So there's a lot here. There's a lot here. There's so much that is is being carried from the collective, from your familial line, and then from your lifetime. And so feeling into its function specifically as protector and portal, we can also really be able to feel into the energies and messages of this area when things begin to go wrong. So again, those emotional components to really be with, because as I'm reading these, if there's something that flickers within you, that little like tinge of something, and you're also experiencing a cervical ailment, 
or maybe, you know, also just a reproductive ailment in general, because that whole area tends to kind of carry the same overall general flavor and theme, and then, you know, very subtle uh, different nuances. So if there is something here for you and you're also experiencing this, this may be a good entry point for you to go explore. Violations, betrayals, anger, resentment, lack of expressing, and really feeling forced into something and losing touch with one's sense of autonomy. Those are probably the biggest. So feeling into those energies, working with the things that are there that maybe you haven't totally danced with to completion, looking into herbal support, flower essences, and yoni steaming, and also the um, crystal wands. Crystal wands and yoni eggs. I really love the wands in particular to work with the cervix because you have direct access as the, the body opens and you befriend the specific crystal that you're working with. And the different crystals carry different meanings and frequencies. And so if there's something specific that you're working with, getting a crystal that aligns with that to help you clear some of this out from the cervix and inserting this, you know, lovingly and patiently. This is not a time for like force. It's a very sacred practice. And I could probably do a whole other show on that because they've really changed my life. The crystal wands for self-pleasure and also for clearing this trauma and resentment and shame and all of these different emotions that just live in the cervix because we can make contact with the cervix with the crystal and it is really quite profound, quite profound. So those would be my, my suggestions on that. The second question, concept, topic that I've been discussing lately with people and have been approached about is modern day priestessing. Like, what the hell does that look like? What is a priestess? What, like, what is happening, right? And specifically, they're drawn to that word. It stirs something within. And then there's like a simultaneous resistance, a simultaneous repulsion. So there's this like attraction repulsion. And then also just confusion. Like I, we live in 2019. What the hell does it look like to be a priestess in 2019? And a priestess is a woman who provides spiritual counsel to her community whatever community that is. If it's your your family, you're a mother and it's your family um, and your children and your partner, or it's a larger community, it's your clients, it's whoever it is. So community can be anything and spiritual counsel can really be so many things as well. So it's a woman who provides spiritual counsel to her community. She is intimately connected to the unseen, the other worlds, to energy, to nature. She acts as a liaison between spirit and matter. She's the healer, the medicine woman, the teacher, the oracle, the mystic, the sage, the sensitive, all of these, these labels. And so if priestess stirs you, there's a reason for that. There's a reason. I truly believe that sensitive souls, and you're one of them because you are in my circle and you're listening and, and we're here together on this earth at this time, sensitive souls are here for a big purpose. We are the keepers of the old ways and of the old wisdom that is really mm, waning dangerously and is begging to be resurrected at this time. And that's why we're here. So while we may not live in temples anymore as the healers, the, the priestesses, there is certainly a need now more than ever 
for us to remember our roles and to step into that. And so whatever name label you choose doesn't really matter. But if there's something that is calling to you and, you know, humans are such meaning making creatures. We love to label things. It just helps us to organize and to clarify, you know, like I am Devin, I do X, Y, Z and I go by this title or this label. And really at a certain point, like all of it, it doesn't matter. All of these different, you know, even in, in my work. Well, I don't know if I, if I, if I think I'm sensitive, but I'm, I'm clairsentient, clairsentient or clairvoyant or empathic or intuitive. And it's like, okay, I, I respect all of these because there are some very subtle differences. And at a certain point, the labeling and just looking for names doesn't really get us anywhere when the thing that I invite us all to focus on a little bit more is expressing whatever unique flavor of magic and gifts are within us that would like to come out in service to our wholeness and healing and remembrance that is then going to, by default, magically uplift and heal and bring wholeness to the collective. So words are so powerful and they have a certain frequency and it can certainly provide us with a beautiful entry point. Maybe there's a specific lineage that we resonate with. And so while the practices of a mm, shaman and a priestess might be very, very so similar, maybe one resonates with you more than another because it's your soul's remembrance. And so the lineages of those that have gone by priestess versus shaman may resonate with you more. And that's your entry point because that's where your kind of soul family has been. And so again, not getting bogged down in labels or, or even like, you know, blood DNA, uh, you know, blood DNA lineage versus our spiritual lineage, not, not getting bogged down in why am I so drawn to, um, you know, the, the shamans of Peru when I am just, You've never been to Peru. Right. I've never been to Peru. Right. My my bloodline is like white European descent and, you know, oh goodness, does that make me disrespectful? And it's like, no, because spiritual DNA, spiritual um, lineage, family can be different than your, whatever your physical body's blood DNA is carrying. So if priestess is resonating with you, there is a reason and as far as what it looks like, you know, how you priestess is going to be different than how I priestess. How you priestess in 2019 is different than when you were here, you know, 1500 BCE. So being in, in deep inquiry and knowing yourself and feeling into those flickers of remembrance because you're constantly being guided. And the dis-ease comes when we resist that guidance and feel afraid or ashamed or unworthy or any of these other things. So I have um, two questions that have come up for me as I've been listening. And um, you you kind of touched on it when you were talking about the labels and how, you know, you might be called more to um, shamanism than priestessing or, you know, however it is that you're drawn to this kind of work. Um and I see those labels as being useful to an extent in that they help us to like organize things and communicate. But ultimately, any label that we have for anything, any any word is, uh, you know, it, it can have its like you said, words have energies and uh, it can have its its meaning and its truth just in the, the words and the ideas themselves. But really, um ultimately it's the experience and it's what you're 
doing and what you're feeling as you're doing it. Um, the metaphor that I like to use is uh, like maps and the names of like uh, a mountain range on on a map. Like that that mountain range has been there for thousands, millions of years. Um, what is that name that we put on a map and assign it to that mountain range? What does it mean? You know, um, that name might be there for a while, but the mountain range is going to outlast whatever name we put on it. Like there's, there's a gap between reality and the labels that we put on reality. And I think this is a really important point to kind of slow down and look at when you're answering this kind of question about what does a certain word mean nowadays? What does it mean to be a modern priestess? Um, because if people have a hard time pairing their ideas about a word with their experiences in reality, then it can create this kind of like lost dissociative feeling where it's like, well, that doesn't, that word doesn't feel like what I'm walking and what I'm experiencing right now. So they might feel like uh, it's not a fit when, you know, maybe there's, there's just something about the idea that needs to be tweaked or maybe doesn't matter at all. So my first question is, um, how do you reconcile that? How do you, like, if I wanted to get to know about some mountains, I could read a map and say, oh, these are the Rocky Mountains. Great. They're in Colorado and Wyoming, and I know all about the Rocky Mountains now. Or I could go walk on the mountains. Like, the way to get to know something is through experience. And asking the question, what does it mean to be a priestess what does it mean to be a modern priestess? Um, I think the more appropriate question, the more direct question, I, I, maybe appropriate isn't the right word because the, the question isn't invalid. Um, I think the, the deeper meaning behind the question isn't what does it mean to be a modern priestess? It's how does it feel to be a modern priestess? That's the real question. Because if you know what that feeling is and you feel it, and it feels right for you, and you keep doing it, then you become it. Then, then it it it, be, it is true. So, how do you how do you walk the mountains? How do you feel into that and explore it and find out if it's true for you? And I do have a second question, but I'll I'll wait for your answer to this one. <laughs> I love your questions and your reflections. Yeah. So we can't really be labeled because we're constantly growing and changing and evolving. However, our core values, just like the core essence of priestess are pretty fixed. Our core values align with our soul's divine blueprint, which is where I'm headed next for our third and final question. These things are pretty fixed, but our expression of this blueprint and these values may evolve just like the expression of priestessing as a verb <laughs> because priestesses don't just, you know, just like shamans or any of these other labels, these, these sacred roles don't just kind of sit around and look pretty right there. It's, it's, it's an active process. So priestessing as a verb that has evolved as well. So the core essence of what it means to be priestess of what it means to be you or me, those things are, are pretty, pretty fixed and our expression will evolve. Just like the priestess sing in 2019 looks different than 
2019 BCE, our tools that we have access to might be a little different. For example, I'm getting to broadcast and connect with you. And we're, you know, I, I have listeners and clients in all parts of the world. That's amazing. Places I have not been, right? I haven't been to South America. I haven't been to South Africa. I have, I've got people there. So I have this, this, this tool. We all have access at this very interesting time. So the tools get to change. The essence stays the same. And, and words and labels, <clears throat> words and labels and practices and all of these tools have specific resonances and frequencies. So when they create that little flicker within, like I've, like I said earlier, that's a major clue and cue to take a look and to feel because that flicker is a little resonance of truth. And that thing that created the stir has something for you. It harmonizes with your frequency. And then this little vibration has occurred. And you asked me how to reconcile it. And I don't know if that was your next question. Well, yeah. So, I mean, they are kind of the same thing is uh, how to reconcile it, how to um, how to feel into that that walk. And like you were saying, um, exploring the how the different tools resonate. Um, my second question was going to be about how to get outside your comfort zone and explore tools that are alien to your culture so like you you mentioned um respectfully learning from practices of shamans in peru um i know that that can be kind of difficult especially for me just being frank and honest and you know personal as a white male uh anytime that i engage in something outside of what is stereotypical white american culture uh, I have to be conscious not to engage in cultural appropriation, you know, not to uh, like, like things that when I was a kid, nobody cared that or well, nobody around me um, cared that a football team might have an offensive name uh, because it was cultural appreciation of Native American, you know, history. Um, as we become more aware of these things, um, yeah, how do we do that? How do we respectfully learn and take from other cultures? Because my own practice is Zen Buddhism and sorting out what I'm actually learning versus stereotypes and things that you see on TV and things like that. Um, it, it takes a conscious effort. And so I know that you have a very eclectic practice and that you draw from a wide variety of sources. And so I was wondering um, if you had any insight on that. Yeah, this is a very, very good, interesting direction and question. And I truly feel that if we are drawn to something and it's at that soul level, that it's for a reason and there is something there for us. And learning from others and other cultures, when you are getting into practices of the soul and of beauty and of truth. It really doesn't matter. I'm going to tear up. <laughs> it really doesn't matter what blood DNA or color of your human costume is. It really doesn't. And so when you have that flicker of that just soul remembrance, because our souls you know, your, your spirit, your soul, your essence, whatever you like to call it, it does, it's not a color. It's not, it knows no boundaries. It knows no country lines. It knows, you know, no ways of, of judgment or 
maliciousness or prejudice. It's just soul. It's just base level truth. So when something resonates with you, I, I know when we live in such tender times where we do have to be kind of extra careful, it, it seems, to not offend or cross imaginary lines and, and all of these things. And really, when we just meet each other on a level of soul and of essence with nothing but love and respect, all of that made up bullshit just disappears. And we see past culture and past skin color just into essence. And so it's just a matter of sharing different tools and sharing different resources and, and, and giving and receiving them with love and reverence because there, there could be something there for you at that specific time in your journey. If it's not something that you're going to keep practicing or take on as your own and then offer to others, there still could be something there that you need at that specific time of your journey. And as Mike said, my, my background and training and expertise is quite wide and eclectic and draws from so many different places. And never once do I ever think about, you know, oh, this is the color of my skin or where I'm from, because it's it's just so soul, tender, innocent respect. And that's part of the reason I love working with flower essences so much is it really gets us to see and be and, and live from just that soul essence, because we're being met in that very tender place that most of us in this lifetime haven't really been met. We don't know how to meet ourselves in that place, and we're not meeting each other in that place. So I think that as we can embrace whatever it is that is lighting you up or flickering you or turning you on when you hear about it, if we can embrace that more and get past the like, this isn't for me, that's not for me, th this world's going to be such a better, <laughs> better place. And this is such a, I, I want to keep talking about this. I think we need to, to do like a whole episode on this because I'm being reminded of, you know, um, teaching yoga for several years and some of the things I really didn't like about the mainstream yoga community and the stereotypes about that, you know, yoga is for pretty little white girls and all of just the, the different things that we have come to just kind of accept, you know, priestess can't be for me because I'm not this prim little pristine goddess person. We were just talking about that in my Facebook group, actually. And somebody was saying that goddess kind of rubs her the wrong way. She, she couldn't really pinpoint why. And she came back a few days later. I, I just, it lit me up because she obviously had kept thinking about it. And a few days later, she came back and commented and she's like, I realized what it is. I have always been told I'm too much or wild or rebellious and I have this side of me. And to me, a goddess is not like that. And I was like, thank you, sister, for naming that because we all are carrying something, some fucking little story <laughs> that is that is holding us back from exploring the things that flicker, the things that turn us on. And so for her, there there's so much to, to explore and so much richness in exploring that side of, of, of the divine feminine. And because of this little story she was carrying, it was like this wall had been put up. And I invited her. I was like, oh, sister, there are so many wild and rebellious goddesses that, you know, getting into the mythologies and the different energetics and the archetypes of these, of these um, different faces of the divine feminine. Hello? Like, yes. If that's your natural essence, own it, explore it, love it. And so priestess, to me, used to be such a... I had, I had a similar story about it. It used to be so out of reach. 
because I was, you know, not, not pretty enough or not proper and not put together. And I'm still battling with my, my human costume needs. That's, that's a people costume is a, a term Mike and I use to refer to our meat suits, right? The, the human body. This, these, this these human act we're playing. Right. These people costumes in this play that we're in, this play of life. And so, yeah, priestess just kind of felt like it was just not me. So out of reach. And now I lovingly, boldly, respectfully claim that title for myself because it always flickered. It always stirred. So follow those, those turn-ons. And as far as how, you just, you just need to do it. You need to trust. You go gently, you go compassionately, you go slowly and with the best of support and resources and with the best mentors to constantly remind you and mirror to you your beauty and your truth. And this is a great segue into our final concept for today that I feel like I've already, we've already touched on. Yeah. And just real, real quick, um, the, the concept of having a mentor is super important to me and to my practice. And, um, like my going into Zen Buddhism, you know, I have, uh, a, a teacher, uh, a monk that is my mentor and helps me to see what it is that I'm actually being drawn to and not to be um, misled by stereotypes or misinformation or third parties telling me about this thing when I can go straight to somebody who has tapped into that source. Yeah, and also being shown and reminded that your source is within as well. So having those those resources and support to teach you and show you some tools and then also to guide you on the path of of knowing yourself and tapping into the source within, which is an even better segue, look at this, <laughs> into living your soul's divine blueprint. And so somebody was like, I've heard you say that, soul's divine blueprint, and it stirs and flickers. <laughs> I, I do have a way with words. I love words. I love words. And I, I get complimented. I'm going to toot my own horn. Right. I get complimented on my writing and the way I work with words. And that means a lot to me because that is one of my favorite tools, My one of my favorite resources of expressing and of sharing with others. So I love when it when it lands and resonates. So somebody, you know, is like, I've heard you talk about activating my soul's divine blueprint. And yeah, like how we're all kind of on this quest for purpose in life. What am I doing here? And we know we're meant for more. And we don't know how to begin to really live authentically and in accordance with our soul's purpose. And for a lot of us, purpose can create anxiety. Like there's this thing I'm supposed to do and I'm just running out of time, right? Like every day that I wake up is a blessing and I'm also closer to death and I'm not living my purpose. Why am I here? And, you know, like, look, I'm not the, I'm not the ultimate God creator. I am also feeling into all of this too. However, what I have really felt and come to know as truth, and maybe this will land with you and will enhance your experience or maybe not. But if it does not, that's also helpful because every piece of something we hear that is not true for us helps us to come to our truth. So this is just what I know to be true. Our divine blueprint. So our soul, essence, spirit, whatever, again, you like to call it, that thing in you that is actually you, because you are not your body. You're not your people costume. You are wearing a people costume, but you are not your people costume. So this thing in you that is you has a specific frequency, a specific flavor, essence, mission, kind of little 
adventure that it came here to have. And your soul's divine blueprint is revealed in messages, flickers, remembrances, passions, and turn-ons. Basically everything that we just talked about. So what sets you ablaze? What within you is just like stirring and needs to be expressed or felt or experienced or there's something that you want to learn, there's something you want to explore, there's something maybe that you just want to like get out of your life. What is in there? Because the more that you tend to that inner flame and ignite that inner spark, the closer you are to just like, oh yeah, this is my, this is that thing I've been searching for and like fighting to find this elusive purpose. Like it's, it's literally speaking to you all the time right now. Listen. And then kind of the most coolest part about all of this, just to show you how easy and accessible it is. What are your values and priorities? And some people can't answer that just like straight away. You know, we maybe aren't spending enough time really reflecting on these things. So if you can't answer that right now, that's cool. I do invite you, however, when this is done, to go sit with that for like many days, maybe for the next week. Make a little five minute, 10 minute journal meditation practice. What are my values and priorities? Because this is this is like the secret sauce. Are you ready? The purpose of your life is to just live your values. That's it. You live in service to those values and to those priorities. That's it. That is your soul's divine blueprint. It is here. This body you're wearing is a beautiful antenna and conduit and little message giver with all of its little flickers and sensations. And you get very clear about what your values and priorities are. You follow those flickers because they reveal those values and priorities to you. And you keep following them and you live them unapologetically and vehemently. You live in devotion and service to that which you value. And you continue to pay attention to those flickers and sparks and heed them and follow them. And so that your values and your priorities are your purpose. They're your soul's divine blueprint. It's not hard. It's not scary. It's not complicated. Because all of that infuses your being, infuses how you want to feel, how you want to live. And then all of that, guess what? Like reveals to you what you're supposed to do. Because the doing is influenced and fed by the being. And the being is living in service to those values and priorities that you've identified through the flickers, through your physical body. So that is you just alchemizing your life, creating this third thing through spirit your divine essence, and your physical body constantly communicating with each other, living through you to create a third, and that third is your life. So that's 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 what you do. And it can be hard. <laughs> the hard part about it is not like figuring out what it is and what am I doing? The hard part sometimes can be getting out of your own freaking way and trusting those flickers. And I think we talked a lot about that in the previous question. So maybe rewind and go get a little kick in the ass if that's what you need. I need a swift kick in the ass plenty of times. That's what we do. And we live those values and live in devotion to them because they are sacred. They are our soul's own little, you know, commandments, if you will. That's what we do. I would really love to know how these things landed with you. And if you have questions for a future question and answer show, hit me up on um, social media or through email. So listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, it would be much appreciated if you could review us and leave us a comment. Uh, be sure to subscribe and share the love with a friend. 
There's also a listener survey you can take. The link is in the show notes. If you'd like to support Subtle Medicine and make sure that this podcast is always available, then please go to patreon.com slash innerspark. Like I said, please come continue the conversation with me in my Facebook group, Activating the Sensitive Soul. The link is on my homepage at innerspark.life. And have you checked out the latest and greatest resources and offerings I've created just for you? From my virtual classes, the Thrive Series, which features new topics and practices each month to support the sensitive, intuitive, empath woman in rocking her life, self-paced courses such as the Yoni Exploratory that features a variety of modalities ranging from shamanic journeying to expressive arts to reclaim and de-shame the power of your Yoni. There's something for you, dear sister. Check out innerspark.life resources to learn more now. And catch us next time. So much love to you until then.